0: Hello
1: and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast, a very, very special Saturday Down South podcast. God. He is-, is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Gara. Ladies and gentlemen, that
0: happened—the
1: moment that we've all been waiting for—and for, by we, for one of us, I mean me. Not just specifically me, but I, I, I do think specifically this is going to you. If you read, if you read the the, the title of this podcast, spoiler alert. We interviewed Joe Moorhead. I interviewed Joe Moorhead. There you go. Let's call Sorry. it what it is, Connor. Sorry. For a few logistical reasons, I interviewed him. We didn't do the typical two-on-one. There could potentially be an opportunity down the road to do a two-on-one with Joe Moorhead. Maybe make a little trip to Starkville. Yeah. I'm just saying. He Start did, Vegas. by the end of the conversation, leave the converse, leave the door open for us to be able to come up to Starkville and you know check out things up there. So... We could be doing that in the future. I'm not saying that we are, but we could be. The conversation was great. It was awesome. I tried not to fangirl too hard. Um, but we basically became best friends, and that's what you're going to find out from this. So, yeah. You know how they say, uh, you know what, they, actually, you know True what? True love is blind. Yeah, they do say that. This was essentially, a little, little peel behind the onion here. You know when Michael finds out that Holly is going to be transferred back to Scranton? Yeah. <laughs>
0: they had and fancy he's, Christmas.
1: he's like, yeah, oh, man, I, I, I worked so hard for this. I sent letters to Joe. I did all that I could. That was basically the moment of realizing, oh, this is actually going to happen. And, you know, we've had we've had great guests on this, on this podcast before. Um, getting a, an active SEC head coach who didn't have a plug to do, or a time restraint yep. was awesome. And it was a lot of fun. And I will I hope, say I just one it.
0: last little jaded comment. Um, when you bring up that specific episode of Fancy Christmas, remember the whole point was it was they had to throw out all of the tacky, less fancy, more trashy Correct. things. Which is in you know, the metaphor here is Uncle oh, Chris, man, come on. No, but it's no, all good. No, no. Starkville, when we go to Starkville, which I'm gonna I'm gonna speak that into the universe like LeVar Ball, even though I hate that guy we're going to go down to Starkville. We're going to do a little, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to make it my mission in 2019. Screw the weight loss. We're going to do Family Feud with Joe Moorhead. That's a goal. That is a podcasting goal for us. We've
1: got a lot of good stuff to get to. Like I said, we've got that interview. We've got some some stuff that I know I'm going to get you going pretty good on yeah. uh, with this Auburn Georgia changing the date of that matchup. We've got a lot of combine talk that we're going to get to because oh by the way, that kind of snuck up on us. But that yeah. is this upcoming weekend, and then we are going to do uh, a little bit of talk about a very important experience that you had. Uh, your Alliance of American Football virginity <laughs> is no longer.
0: Wow, but before that's, we one, get that's to that, one way to put it. Go into the ad read. <laughs>
1: Uh, before we talk about that, um, you guys know about our good friends over at Ticket City. Uh, right now, I'm sure that there are a lot of SEC fan bases. Maybe you're a Tennessee fan, maybe you're a Kentucky fan, LSU fan. You want to see potentially a game that could make or break your team's conference championship chances. All you got to do go to Ticket City. They're going to hook you up, they're going to get you the best prices possible. All of these games right now are very coveted tickets. I know Tennessee and, and Kentucky still have one more matchup left. Uh, LSU is, I think, is LSU done with those matchups? They have the most favorable schedule. I think so. Forward? I think, but still, obviously, you're going to probably want to try and get tickets to go see that. That place was rocking on Saturday for that right. Tennessee game. Um, yeah, it, it looks like a really fun place to be at. If you are trying to get tickets for any SEC basketball game, make sure you are doing so uh, at TicketCity.com. Oh, maybe maybe you want to get a little little head of the curve. Get your tickets to the SEC basketball tournament in Nashville. Uh, that's probably going to be awesome this year because Nashville is pretty great. Uh, so maybe you want to do that. Head on over to TicketCity.com. Make sure that you get all your SEC basketball tickets there. Ticket that you got yesterday. You went to the Alliance of American Football on Sunday. You saw your beloved Atlanta oh, Legends gosh. get smacked in the face.
0: I, I think I think I'm an Iron fan now. I think. You converted that quickly. Dude, they are, the legends are so terrible. And it's, so, here's the thing. I had a blast, man. We got tickets. We were second row. we like the 30-yard line, 25, 30-yard line, something like that, on the Birmingham Ironside. It was a blast, man. We had so much fun. There's there's obviously things they could work on. Um, beer lines. Voice of frustration here. Only one place that had hot dogs. Only one, Connor. Um, I, I got a fire take. Hot dogs? Overrated stadium food. You're one of that is. I, I'm. I, you see, I'm clenching my hands right now. I'm gonna punch. Three you bites and you're time. done with a hot dog. That's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, no, and then you not. get another one. I want one. my
1: food to last. Whatever. But what are you
0: Continue. talking? <laughs> anyway, so hot dogs are fantastic. Everyone knows that. Um, there was the, the lines weren't great for that, so we missed like a decent amount of like the second quarter. That's. I mean, that's just logistics of the stadium, whatever. But it was a lot of fun. The stadium itself was great. The atmosphere was fun. Um, the legends are so bad and it's, fr- it's like, it's frustrating to me because there's, there's different things this league could do. And like this team could do to differentiate itself. I thought the ticket prices were a little bit higher than I was expecting. Th-
1: those were cheaper than Orlando too. Orlando tickets are really, really expensive. Dude,
0: Seriously. Go look them up. It's we, bad. We So we got tickets for 40 bucks a piece. I think all in all, it was like a hundred total dollars with, with like, like fees and, and crap like that. So that wasn't that bad. We were a second row, and it was a lot of fun. And like I mean, again, we had a blast. Afternoon, go to a game. Sure, I, I don't mind spending that. But like, t- to be like anywhere near the front on the home side was like eighty five dollars.
1: Right, right. Which isn't
0: necessarily a better seat because you know you're like it was like further back away from the field. So that part was kind of frustrating. Um, I thought they just could have done a better like this. I don't. I don't want to start like getting on a rant about the coaching and the play calling. Because it doesn't matter to me as much as, like, you know, if I'm not going to yell run the damn ball in an AAF game. I'm not going to do you, it. You d- you thought about it. I this. thought, just, I love me Matt Sims. I love me some Matt Sims. He's a great guy. I, I, like I said, he was my old regular when I was at Houston. He's, he's a good quarterback. He's a great, great person. I don't understand what you're doing if Aaron Murray has not been playing. In it. Did Aaron Murray see Kevin Coyle? Like, did... did what did he do to Kevin Coyle to not Who come into him? that game? Who hurt him? Because at this point, it's like, you've scored one touchdown in three games. Why is Aaron Murray not in the game? And you're, you're, you're playing at home in Georgia. To me, that's
1: a no-brainer. I've been saying this since day one, that uh, it's a travesty uh, that Aaron Murray is not the star, the face, the everything for the Atlanta legends. Talk about legends in the state of Georgia. Yeah. Aaron Murray. I, I mean, that, that, that to me just is absolutely baffling. And maybe... Maybe when um, he wins the starting job, which I mean, that's a matter of time. Is it? We'll get it, we'll get him on the podcast. to, yeah, to, it was, to discuss what went on.
0: It was mind blowing because because you have like you have people at the game that are like they're there for. I said this from the beginning. Like I thought it was going to be much less of a novelty and more like actual good football. And I think people kind of showed up as fans expecting more of like a novelty. Like they're not going to get like fully invested. In, like you know, like where if they lose, like they're going to go cry and yell into a pillow like I do. when Bama loses, no, they're not going to do that. But at the same time, when you have that many different pockets of fans throughout the stadium chanting, we want Murray, and you're a league that's just trying to make it, you know, and and you could say you're trying to, from every aspect you look at it, like, are you trying to win a game? Are you trying to appease fans? Are you trying to build a product that people are going to come out to? In all three of those areas, you have failed in Atlanta by not letting Aaron Murray step on the field one time. Steve Swerger would have put in Aaron Murray like three weeks ago. It's just it, saying he, we've scored one touchdown in three games and we haven't made a change at quarterback or receiver. Put Aaron Murray in receiver. Atlanta, Atlanta's receivers are garbage. Yeah. Uh, Orlando
1: three and oh Birmingham also three and oh, just saying we're going to have a little, uh, kind of like a little Florida Bama national championship Don't type s- feel. No, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. <laughs> I thought
0: you were going to say something this- about like Florida Bama line. I was gonna be really upset. No, I was I wasn't going to go there. Okay. Uh, speaking of
1: Georgia though, this is something that got you really fired up. I was, yeah. like, I was surprised how fired up you got about this. Really, were you? I guess it's different. Uh, no, I guess maybe I shouldn't have been so much surprised. Um, okay. But yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see that you had such a strong reaction to watching what happened with this Auburn-Georgia rivalry, which is now shifting for the first time in forever. 1937. Auburn is going to not have to face Georgia and PAMA in the final three weeks of the season.
0: I. I'm I'm going to sound like a Bama homer when I when I say this. And Auburn fans, I'll apologize to you and all that kind of stuff in advance. This pisses me off so much, not because they get an extra week off. I don't give a blank what Auburn does with Gus Malzahn and their schedule when they play Alabama. There is, they've they've won on a kick six and they've won on on being a better team in 2017. Okay. He's beaten them twice. Gus Malzahn's beaten Saban twice. I'm not scared of Auburn having extra rest. What pisses me off here is that this seems advantageous for one team, and this has been my favorite game and favorite SEC rivalry since I was a kid. This is my all-time favorite get- football game. It is, which and it is makes weird. me so mad that like I'm looking at a picture right here, right now in my in my little office, little little not man cave but little area where we record. That's me and four strangers from we went out to like. Go to the Deep South's oldest rivalry last year in Athens and the leaves are changing. It's a beautiful day. It is fall. It is fall football at its peak in the South. And you have literally this game started at Piedmont Park. I like I love everything about this rivalry. And I love the fact that like you don't get a long fall necessarily in the South, okay? Just the way like the weather is. But this is like the peak fall football, like foliage, all that stuff like rolled into one, and you're just taking it away because one team is, excuse my language, but bitching about how their schedule's tough.
1: I'm surprised Georgia agreed to this. Yeah. That's the part that, I, that I'm that i struggling to understand. And we saw Vince Dooley come out and say, yeah, it, it benefits Auburn. I understand that Georgia's going to get the back-to-back home games. And maybe there is some other motivation there, but I, I've kind of wondered about this because we've heard for a while now Kirby basically laid out what the agreement was going to have to be, and he's like, well, yeah, we're going to get two home games out of this if this is what's going to happen because Auburn stands to benefit more from this, and Georgia is now flipping this series to where it'll play Tennessee at that time of year instead. Is that the benefit? Is, is that what they're, what they're banking on? I don't it? know what Georgia's I doing. Know.
0: And, and, and it's amazing to me, too, and like, I just to jump back up on my soapbox, the fact that, that Georgia's doing this, switching the Georgia-Tennessee game, which that game is that that game has not always been played at the same time. I mean, you remember Herschel was there, his first game when he ran over Bill Bates. That was a September game, first game of the season. True. So True. this this game is traditionally I've always remembered it being like the first second week of October, usually the first week. Um, they played it in late September, all that kind of stuff. So they're going to switch that. I don't think that really matters much because Georgia's schedule is not difficult in November. I, I've heard a couple of Georgia fans that that complained about this. And they're like, I'm so tired of having to play Auburn. In November, dude, and I was like, "Wait, what? Like, what? what, what? Explain." It was like, "Cause then you got to play Kentucky, who runs the Wildcat offense, and then Auburn runs that that stupid like spread formation, and then Georgia Tech runs the triple option." It was like, "You're okay. You're not the victim here. <laughs> you're like, you just <laughs> let me throw that out there. I just it, it mind. It's mind blowing to me that that's gonna happen, and then in the first year, Georgia now is gonna be playing Bama and Auburn back to back weeks. Like, what yeah, are yep. you doing?" I look forward to that. I, I look know.
1: forward to your general state during that time, just as somebody who's going to be very fired up about the fact that you can't have your usual rivalry. You like to sit down on Thanksgiving morning and watch the Detroit Lions blow a game that they should probably win. 13-7 those- lead watch people wearing depressed pilgrim outfits, you know, wondering why they still root for the Lions. You that that is you. You, you get your fix. You yeah. love your it, it is part of your your background. Not not in the same way that it is for me. I mean, I'll be 100% honest when I when I saw the Chick-fil-A commercial like talking about the Auburn-Georgia rivalry and how like heated it was. I'm like not, they couldn't have picked a better one for that.
0: I don't know. That I mean, I, it's thought, not, it's not that it's heated. It's a it's a it, as all things go, it's a pretty friendly rivalry the fact that they're, they're but it's just the the tradition that is like Woven into the fabric of this conference stems from this game. And I don't care if that sounds dramatic or anything like that. This game I've been I've been watching SEC football since I was old enough for my dad to prop me up on his knee, and this is the longest game I ever remember watching. I've I don't I would rather watch this game. That this game is more exciting to me than I don't know, what's what's another <laughs> I don't want to say Bama Tennessee or Bama Bama Auburn or anything like that. I thought you were gonna say the Iron Bowl, it's I mean I no, but say. like I enjoy I mean there's a lot more running on the line on the line for that game for me, but this has just been like this is always Southern football at its peak. And you talk about like I've I've never heard anyone any Auburn fans complain about though how difficult their schedule is having to go to Georgia and Bama back to back years until the past couple years when both teams have been good. I've never heard it. I never heard it in the '90s. Never heard it in the '2000s. Never heard it. All of a you know, sudden, the irony of
1: this. The irony of this whole thing. And I don't know if it, this is probably addressed by Auburn fans because how could it not be? This is set to start in 2020. Cus
0: Zahn might not even be there in 2020, and he's been the one complaining about this schedule right. the entire time. And, 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 and I've made reference to this last year. It goes in cycles of the fact that it's like, well, we got to go play them on the road. we got to play Georgia and Auburn uh, or Georgia and Bama back-to-back on the road. You don't complain about it when you have home games like you did in 2017. It just, the whole no, thing that's bothers a good point. me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from and the fact that this this has changed really the the way that most people are used to watching this game. And that's going to be the frustrating thing is that it's not going to be what you're used to. So, and what is Auburn's uh, schedule going to be now? Yeah, no, I, that's a good question. I was trying to look at that on uh, FBS schedules. They do a really good job of mapping out all that stuff. And I couldn't quite figure it out because now they're going to have, if they do have that Georgia game in, the, in September... All right, no, I'm I'm not good with okay, like, pictures. So Brandon, all that Brandon stuff. Marshall
0: right. brought this up. The guy who writes for the guy who yelled at you last year in the summer about the Mississippi State take. Isn't that his name? Brandon Brandon Marshall, yeah. not Brandon Marshall. Yeah. Brandon
1: Marshall's a receiver in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, either way.
0: So, so, and I will say to be fair, like let me calm down a little bit here. It does seem like a competitive imbalance a little bit with the scheduling to be that difficult for Auburn because Georgia and Bama have clearly separated themselves as the two premier teams in the conference and playing them t- not back to back. But two out of three weekends in a row is pretty tough. What doesn't seem to really alleviate that problem is if Auburn now is going to have A&M as their first SEC game in November, because I think that's how it was last year, um, and I could be wrong about that. But then you have – I think what Marcelo was saying was in the first year at least, in 2020, when they switch these, these dates, Auburn will now just have an off week. They will play – I think they play UMass the second week, and they'll have an off week for the Iron Bowl. That is really, really skewing way to the other side of when you talk about like what's fair and what's not an imbalance of the schedules, like for and what like, to make it more equal, I guess, throughout like the league. That seems pretty unfair to go from being like, well, we had a really tough game, we had to play for like seven years in a row, and you know, try to go in there like like on the road for two like for back-to-back games, and then you're just having a week off and playing UMass. That sucks.
1: Yeah, but there's, then there's the other thing of like how, and I talked about this last year with with Georgia before that LSU game, why I thought it was going to be really difficult for Georgia to raise its level of play to LSU. And there's a discussion to be made for that and how difficult it is to all of a sudden just flip the switch when you've had a couple weeks off yeah. and it's like all of a sudden you've got to really get going. You have to adjust to the game speed. We haven't talked about enough, maybe at all, the fact that there's like two bye weeks for every team this year. Yeah. The way that the schedule sets up, well, it's, which it's, is...
0: It's, that happens every couple of years, that's, that's, that's it's pretty a, normal. It's a
1: throwback thing a little bit, though, because it hasn't happened. I don't think it's happened in the playoff era, has it? No, it hasn't. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of weird that that's going to be part of the conversation. I'll be interested to see because we, we have a lot of discussion about bye weeks and the way that it sets up, and Saban talks about that a lot and how many teams are coming off of bye weeks before they face Bama. Yeah. And I think that that's maybe something that's a little bit overlooked. and Maybe it's going to help teams that do have maybe a gauntlet month or something like that.
0: Well, and I just I don't understand. Like, I think part of this has to do with the fact that, like, Many people perceive Bama to have an easy schedule, and, and, and they don't play that difficult of a schedule. We're not going to get into like the strength of schedule for every team or anything like that. But when you look at like November, like yeah, it's fair to say like Bama doesn't have to play a, a gauntlet really going from like September to October because the teams they're playing, you have Tennessee and you have like Arkansas and, and A&M, and something like that, that are supposed to be better teams and improving, but they don't get into the meat of their schedule until they play LSU, Mississippi State, and then Auburn at the end of the year. It's It seems a little bit ridiculous for Auburn, who has a very difficult schedule, and they've had it for the like, last two years in a row. It seems a little bit ridiculous if, if your November schedule is going to be basically like just having an off month. That's just true. I can't argue
1: with that. Let's move on to the NFL Combine, because that is this weekend. I'll never move and on. We have that I know. We have some over unders to get to. We want to talk uh, SEC players with the most to gain from the combine, which we mapped out ten of those. So it's basically every SEC yeah. player Yes, yeah, it's, it's a,
0: literally a ninth of the people that are going to be there.
1: Let's let's bring in Uncle Chris though, um, because we need your expertise on this. Um, I set five different over unders. And some of which, you know, it's kind of like what we did during yeah. the season with some of some of it based on the broadcast, some of it based on just like measurables, stuff like that. But I, I'm curious how you feel about the, the, the marks that I set for some of these and why certain gambling websites have not taken them because yeah. they should. Um, okay, first one. How many times is the word upside going to be said on the NFL Network broadcast? Now, keep in mind, I set the over-under at 32 and I did that because there are four days of coverage where guys are competing from Friday through yeah. Monday, and I mapped it out to eight per day, which would be roughly like one
0: an hour. It's way over. It's way, it's way over. Way over. Okay. Yeah. I mean, ugh, I that that intangibles, upside, weight room warrior. There's a there's gonna be a bunch of good ones, and we you know what sucks about this year's uh. This year's over our NFL Combine. And I, I don't want to get back up on soapbox about things I like and tradition and everything like that. But Mayock's not going to be there.
1: I know. He's I the thought about best that.
0: man. He's the best when it comes to uh, when it comes to the combine. So you might not get as many cliches, but it, yeah, like upside and afterburners. Those are my two favorite. Oh, afterburners! I like he really that. puts on the afterburners.
1: Let's get Jay Billis in here because Jay Billis is the master at saying upside. Yeah. And pretty much complaining when any NCAA. God, I love Jake Bills. I love. We won't Billis. get into that. Um, fastest forty yard dash time. I set the over under yeah. at four point three seconds. Four point three
0: flat. That's four point three zero. Under. Under. You think somebody's going to run in the four twos? I feel like they usually somebody runs in the four twos, and I don't think they did last year though. They didn't. I mean, if yeah. they did, it's like right at four three zero. I I I think. I mean, John Ross ran a four two four. Somebody's gonna come in there and run like a four two eight. I think. Um, I don't know who it's gonna be yet, but I feel like it's, there's like. I mean, you look at some of these, and we'll get to them a little bit later. But like, uh, why, why am I drawing up Kyler Murray? His like his over under is at four three seven. You know, if a quarterback is-, is able to do that, like, there's gotta be somebody in this draft class that can do it. I don't know. It, that's tough. I think it's it's a little bit more rare
1: than we realize to get into the four twos because I was looking back on some of that and I'm thinking, you know, even guys that just kinda come out of nowhere. I remember Minnesota had uh, Jalen Myrick who ran like a four two eight or something like that. Yeah, and like, whoa. And there's obviously gonna be some guys like that, but who's the kid? Um, was
0: Darius Hayward Bay ran a four three flat or like a four three five. And he was the fastest of the combine, so he got like a top ten pick from the Raiders. And I remember, I remember, like, I remember watching uh, Todd McShay, and they were talking about him. It's like, oh my gosh, like Darius Hayward Bay from Maryland just ran a four three flat, fastest fastest forty uh, time of the combine this year, and he like skyrockets, like all of his all of his uh, draft stock just skyrockets. And they they gave out like his player profile, and McShay was like, I have his hands graded as an F. Was <laughs> like, wait, his hands? That's arguably the most important part of what he does. So we'll uh, Speed say.
1: kills. People forget that. Yeah. They actually don't. <laughs> All right, better question. Slow is 40-yard Ooh. dash time. I set the over-under at 5.7 seconds. Now, keep in mind, this is not including Rich Eisen. Okay,
0: that's what I was going to ask. Um, I'm going to say under. Orlando Brown ran a 5.86 last year. That is... I I don't know if I could run a five eight six. I feel like I could, right?
1: I, I gotta stretch we, those. We were hammies. gonna do that? We were gonna do that, by the I'm way. Glad we're not. Maybe we maybe we'll still do that at some point yeah. of uh, of some sort of combine
0: workout if we can ever get into the same city. But I mean, like um, five eight six. That is. You Surely. Only do a five eight six. Sh- yes, yeah, surely nobody's running a five over a five seven, right? Well, then Brown was pretty bad. There's got to be skinnier people this year, right?
1: Well, it's not just the skinniness. I mean, Orlando Brown was was at that point because the knock on him was, "Oh my gosh, what has this guy been doing for the last 3 right. months?" Yeah, well Cuz his entire workout was <laughs> terrible.
0: Did he bench like bench like 225 like 11 times, something like that or like was it under was it under 10?
1: I don't know. With 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 a stomach that big though, you should just be able to bounce it off your chest yeah, 11 without times. Without
0: a doubt. Uh, I'm going to say under though. It feels feels right. Okay. So you're saying that it's going to be slower than 57? No, no, no. It's going to be faster. Faster yeah.
1: than 5-7, the slowest. Okay, all right. How many shots of Saquon Barkley's combine Ooh. performance will we get? Saquon? That's good. Uh, by the way, talk to Joe Moorhead about him a little bit. Here we um, go.
0: I set the over-under at 1.5. Over. And and here's why. Because he, you're going to have running back. they are going to have like the, the running back day, like skill position day. So they're going to show it then. And then also the fact that he, he it was only a year ago. And plus, he just put up. I mean, he's he's incredible. He's incredible.
1: That's big of you to admit that.
0: <laughs> what? Is, um, I just can't pronounce his name. I never said he was overrated or anything like that. He, sh- he he won the September Heisman. You can't call me you can't call me wrong for that. Unbelievable. What? Well, he? I mean, um, he did.
1: He did. He did. He absolutely did. He didn't follow the traditional Heisman arc that many many like following. But um, no, I, I I do think that there's something to be said though for if they do like a piece on it. And then they don't come back to it. They won't do that. So if they do something where it's like three minutes just on Barkley's performance during they do the low time. Because they do this sometimes. This is the way the TV production yeah. works. So that's why, it's, that's why it's a little bit lower than maybe you would have expected. But I would probably still take the over. Yeah. But, okay. How many references slash puns related to Evander Holyfield slash boxing are we going to get during Elijah Holyfield's pro day? I set the over under at 5.5.
0: I mean, I'm going to say under. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and I don't like that I'm saying under, but that's, and it's a really good number too, five and a half. Thank I just, I feel like everybody gets it at this point, right? Man, they better. But like, it's also. But it's, but it's a new audience. It though. is. That's it's a thing. new it's audience a and it's new people. It's like, it's going to, uh, I mean, Dion's going to say it at some point. <laughs> that's all. The, that's oh, we got that one, two, only punch. Bullet, uh, uh, like, something <laughs> like that. Like, oh, here we go. Um, watch take like a jab step. Block his men. Like, it's going to be something. Sub- oh, God. I'm already like, I love it.
1: Rich Eisen, but he can be a little bit corny sometimes yeah. with some of those lines, and he's going to slip those in there. Yeah. And I love puns, I-, I think that the over I mean, is geez. interesting.
0: Um, okay, so here's a few that I have found, courtesy of uh, betonline.com. Um,
1: Fun fact, do not copy and paste anything from <laughs> betonline.com so into sad. your Word document, because it will ruin it forever.
0: That is true. Marler. So, Connor had a tough start to the day um okay all right so here you go there's a couple in here so these these kind of surprise me bryce love from stanford all right over under his 40 time over under 4.38 whoa i thought he was like a big laboring i mean no he's not big no he's very quick but i, I didn't realize he was a 438 guy uh i don't think he'll get that That's... because he's
1: still was he still he was injured for basically all of 2018 yeah. he came in as the heisman favorite and then ended up not having the, the year that many expected him yeah. to. I'd be surprised if he goes under 4.38.
0: Yeah, uh, Haskins, over under 4.71? Now, to put this in perspective, when I saw this, I was like, that's over. Like, he'll be at 4.75, 4.8. Um, Bryce Love, the odds for the over and the under are both minus 120. Haskins, over <laughs> over 4.71, minus 500, <laughs> under... Plus three hundred. It's <laughs> Like, all right, why even have uh, the uh, odds, man? Just move the odds up.
1: He will still be slower than that. Yeah, I, Haskins moves better than people give him credit for, which is like the the whole Stephen A. Smith thing. Obviously, Stephen he's A. he's obviously was a way runner, right? Like, he's more of a mobile scrambling quarterback. But he actually moves. He he moves pretty well. It's not that he can't move; no. it's that he doesn't because his arm is so much better right. than his legs. That's fair.
0: Um. Okay, we're gonna do that one. Fastest forty will be from an offensive or defensive player. That's kind of interesting. Okay, now here's one that I thought was pretty pretty good, Hunter Renfro, over or under four point six seconds of the forty. Ooh,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna say under. He's gonna be quicker than yeah, that.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually minus two hundred for his under, and then plus one fifty for that. Now here's a good one, uh, Kyler Murray. I told you was four point three seven. The over is minus three hundred on that. Um, uh, Trace McSorley, your boy. Over or under four point six five? Um over because
1: he moves well, but not like an up and down sense. And he's also coming off that ankle injury. In so the Citrus
0: Bowl. That's plus two hundred and the under is minus three hundred. So you might want to jump on that. All right, last one. Um let's see here. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Oh, Josh Jacobs. Over or under four point five seconds. Oh,
1: Nah, I don't think he's gonna test as well. I—that's th- th- a weird thing really? to say. I realize that. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna test as well. I think he's one of those guys that—and this might come back to bite me—I I think he's does. maybe a little bit more those one of those like game fueled guys yeah. where just kind of lights go on and he's ready to yeah. go. And it's just different comparing the combine to an actual game setting. So I, I don't—I don't think he's gonna run that quick. And he's—he's he's bigger, so it's not like he has to run a four-four or something yeah. like that, or he's gonna get docked. But um, I, I, I think he's gonna be a touch
0: slower than that. Last one. Um, do you think someone's privates jump out of their spandex underwear like Chris Jones did two years ago? Oh gosh, that was, so <laughs> that, bad. was the, that was the, I remember trying to. They were talking about him in the AFC Championship game, and I was like, Chris Jones, Chris Jones. They're like, he's had a breakout season, and I was like, oh, breakout. Now it all makes sense. Yep. I remember this. Yep. Oh, anyway, take us into the SC players—the most to gain from the combine here, Connor. By the way, uh, Chris, Chris Jones' his quote after that was, "The hammer came out." Oh wow, good <laughs> <laughs> <Get> for him. <laughs> what do you do with that? Because like that, that whole thing—it's like it's an odd it's an odd broadcast because it's like there's not fans; it's just guys watching other people do like these workouts. And it's like, all right, there he goes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, he's moving. Oh, that's good. Oh, 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 oh. oh.
1: All right, let's run through this because we have a billion of these um, SEC players with the most to gain from the combine. Jared Stidham, guy that I said is the most intriguing SEC draft prospect for a variety of reasons. He obviously had the year that he did where... You could easily make the case that he regressed and that he struggled playing Gus Malzahn's offense. How much of it was the offense? How much of it was him? Um, Mel Kuyper had a, had a quote a couple of weeks ago where he came out and said that he was a bit underrated. Could be one of these second-round, day-two guys. Tat
0: tat, uh, tat, 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 tat. Tat, tat,
1: uh, tat. MVP of senior bowl practice. Uh, I, and we've been saying this for a while with, with, with Siddham and that people are going to fall in love with him off the field. Yeah. And there's no doubt about that because... He is very, very much looking the part just in terms of like the way that he talks. And I understand that that's kind of a cliche Hunter, with a lot of these guys. The picture you put but just, in
0: your article of him where he was like, Oh, yeah, where he's just like got a little giggle or something he, like that. He's just like, like glancing over his shoulder, like, Hey, I, <laughs> yeah, they are going to fall in love with him off the field.
1: I'm not saying I'm sold on him necessarily, yeah. but I think that he somebody has the potential to like just decide, you know what, this guy might be worth a flyer late in the first round. That wouldn't stun me. I think he has a lot to gain potentially because I, I also wouldn't be surprised at the same
0: time if he ended up being a fourth round guy. Quarterbacks have a tendency to yeah, fall very far play, out if I they're not in that conversation. But I mean, he's a smart enough kid, I think he's got the he's got the arm talent and the fingertip speed. There you go. Ooh, fingertips. Um speed. where I think he's gonna be good enough to to be picked up like on, on the second second day. And play behind a, a guy for maybe a year or two before he gets a chance to go. I, I think he's like, I don't know if he's a guy that you're gonna build your franchise around at all, but I think he's definitely a guy that can, you know, add value to your team as like a backup. Interesting day three guy. What about Kyle Shermer? Dude, Vanderbilt this is the best one of the whole bunch. Like, this, you nailed this because I, I he went to Vandy, so he's already gonna have that sigma attached to him where it's like, all right, he's a smart kid, game manager, whatever you want to say. But he has the size. They're gonna use intangibles and like. Nonstop stop and, and measurables. I mean, he's, he's what, a three-year starter, four-year starter?
1: Three-year starter, and then last two years, I mean, Ralph Webb struggled when he was a junior, and then as a senior, Keyshawn Vaughn emerged, yeah. and he was a stud, but they still threw the ball a good amount because, I mean, they're down so much in, in these games, yeah. and he's a guy that you know, obviously, he's already got the NFL connections with his dad, right. but somebody that was snubbed by the Senior Bowl didn't get to go to the Shrine game either and That's... wasn't seen by a whole lot of people. And I think he's got the potential to show up, and all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why have we been watching this kid who didn't have... Obviously, he didn't have a lot of stud receivers yeah. around him. I know Khalid Linscombe had, had a nice year for that team, but nobody's by, by any means saying, oh, yeah, he was loaded with talent. Yeah, no. I, I think that he is intriguing... Day three guy that could potentially move up, maybe into more of like the round, like the round three to four conversation if he balls out yeah, the top of the yeah, I see that. It. I agree with that. How about Emmanuel Hall? Somebody that we talked about a lot during the year. Um, kind of seen as a one-trick pony a little bit maybe part of that is because of the offense yeah he's viewed as this deep threat and you really need to be more than that just a, a, at the next level um, maybe if he impresses with his route running if he shows that he's fully healthy runs a really good 40 time
0: Kuiper had him as a day three pick I and that kind of surprised me it doesn't surprise me as much because he in a year where he would have been a, a, able to separate himself more and build his draft stock he wasn't able to because of Injuries, and then also everything that happened off the field with his dad passing away, and like he just right. the kid had a really tough senior year. But one thing that can't be said enough about him is that like that offense at Mizzou, which when you look at it is predicated off the pass, and you have Drew Locke, and 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 he's obviously going to be like a first round draft pick. But like when you have Emmanuel Hall, who was really the only like he was the catalyst for that entire offense. That offense went as he went, and if he wasn't involved in the game, their offense obviously showed signs of weakness.
1: I, I picture Emmanuel Hall's agent going into every single uh, meeting with the GM and then posting on one side, this is the result of Mizzou's offense with, without yeah. Emmanuel Hall. This is the result with him. That's all you have yeah. to do. And then plead the um, fifth
0: on everything else. See you later. That's all you need to know. Um, how about this guy? Uh, somebody that we
1: got to talk about <laughs> a lot at SEC Media Days, the Froholt. So I was going to put him is, in here,
0: but I, I'm glad I didn't because I couldn't pronounce his name.
1: Yeah, I, I figured um, the the Danish, the Danish offensive lineman uh, that didn't really get a whole lot of big time opportunities at Arkansas because of how how much that program struggled. But I think a lot of people would be surprised by it. Pro Football Focus had him rated as the most efficient pass blocker in the SEC in a pass heavy world that we live in. He is somebody that you could play on your interior. Can play probably three different positions really on the interior. It's yeah. Not going to be you know your left tackle of the future or anything like that. But if he tests well, he's somebody that could that could probably climb several rounds because the more I, I, I see him and you read about him, you're just kind of like, this could easily be one of those guys that ends up being a 10-year starter in the NFL. Yeah. And if you're drafting in the late rounds, you want to get that guy a little bit early. So it wouldn't surprise me if he tested well if he was able to rise. I'd agree with
0: that. I mean, he, again, I <laughs> refuse to put him in here because I couldn't pronounce his name. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Dawson, Dawson Knox,
1: Ole Miss tight end. No, he wasn't part of NWO. Not a guy that was viewed as one of these freakish receivers. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. I think they should go to the gym because it looks like they haven't been working out. Um, (laughs) Goodness gracious, man. Um, Dawson Knox wasn't part of that group, and he never had a collegiate touchdown, which is unbelievable. I don't know why I threw this one in here. Um, So I threw this in here because... This is somebody who I think is going to test out really, really well the combine. And I think with tight ends, it's a little bit tough just in terms of a production standpoint to always see, to always try and figure out their value. And sometimes all you have to do is say, I wasn't really in a system that utilized the tight end from a passing game standpoint that much and these guys can rise in a hurry. He potentially could be like a George Kittle, somebody that was underutilized in college, and then George Kittle had a monstrous combine, and all of a sudden these tight ends could go rise in a hurry. He's not going to be in that conversation with some of the the first-round guys or anything like yeah. that. I mean, the production is is obviously a knock, but he's somebody that has the athleticism to have a really big showing in Indy and could move into the middle round.
0: So I really like the comparison, and I, I get all that. The reason why I don't think... He, like him specifically will be able to have a huge week, I think, where he'll like reap a lot of like benefits from from a good combine testing. Is that for whatever reason this year the tight end position I think is the deepest, might be the deepest position, added, besides maybe the defensive line, out of any position in the draft. It's crazy loaded. I mean, it, Iowa has two tight ends in the top three. That amazing. That's okay. Isn't that amazing? So because I remember yeah. like like looking back at like. You you telling me it was like yeah Noah Fant's not gonna play, and I was like okay, and then I remember saying like the, I saw that the other tight end wasn't gonna play, but I thought they were the same person. I just realized that until like the other day, but nope. like Herb Smith, him, um, the two kids from Iowa, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, right. are the two Iowa was. And tight so ones. and I feel like what no one who, no one's the person who no one's talking about going into this uh, combine is Sternberger. Jay Sternberger
1: is somebody that that obviously we know very well, but. I, naturally speaking, it's a little bit tougher when he basically had one season yeah. of of playing. I mean, that's that's really what you're going to have to look at him. And tight ends can kind of get a little bit of wiggle room with that. And I'm glad that you you brought him up because I almost threw him in there but decided not to. But he's, I mean, the the production kind of speaks for itself. Right. With him. If he t- he needs a test well
0: though. But see, so what I'm, what I'm going to say is like if he he's kind of off everyone's radar, but he, I think he has the easiest road. Um, to gain, to gain from this combine because it's like he already has all of the numbers like and, and career like not career stats but he has all the numbers from this past year in production. So if he comes in, it's like, oh wow, Sternberger ran a four six or he ran a four five five. It's so easy to be like let's let's look look this up like how did, did we overlook this person? It's like oh wow, he was the second he had the second most yards out of any tight end in the country a season ago. Like I think he has the most to gain just because if he has one eye popping stat this combine. He has all the production to already back it up with his resume, so I think he could he could gain a lot from that. Uh, A couple other guys, I think Montez Sweat, just because he's again like a guy that gets off the bus and looks like he's just an absolute physical specimen. I think if he has a good forty time, if he's a good three cone drill, um, and if he can put up like I don't know upwards of twenty five to thirty reps in the in the bench, I think that'd be huge for him. He probably won't though because he has such long arms. Regardless, but if he has like if he if he can nail. Two two different tests like the forty or like his vert like I think he's going to end up moving into the first round finally. Uh, Ter- He'd be a top ten pick if if he went to Bama. That's that's my I, I don't disagree my, with you. My pre draft take. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a strong take. Um, Terry Beckner, he's often overlooked. He's a five star coming out of high school. I thought he did a really good job this year, but just kind of like overlooked in that Missouri defense that was, for the most part, pretty average at best um, as a unit. I think he could gain a lot from this because. You know, he's a guy that, like, obviously has the physical skills and tools to be an NFL player. Just hasn't maybe put them all together or hasn't developed as much after he went to Mizzou. Benny Snell, I, I almost didn't want to put him in there because it seems like it's too cliche. Like, he... If he... I don't think he's going to run under a four six. I don't. If he does and is able to put together, like, if he's... Is able to put over like I don't know twenty two reps on bench and show that he's like a strong back because because the knock the knock on him is going to be that there's what is it Connor there's too many too much wear on the tires too much tread on the tires too much tread on the tires because there I mean he he's he's been like the focal point of that offense for you know three seasons um, I, the one that I am am just like if there was anyone I could bet on that is going to make a name for themselves at this combine it's Miko Hardman okay so. I almost put him in there, and I didn't
1: for this reason. There's been a lot of buzz by Michael Hardman. We have talked about his speed, and I think he, I, I think he'll have a really good combine. Don't get me wrong; I, I think that there is potential to. There, I wouldn't be surprised if he ran the fastest forty in the combine. I, I absolutely right, would not. Right. Be. But the problem is that the bar has been set so high for him, and that it is really it's tough fair. to all of a sudden. If that's if that's the expectation of oh, I want to get into the four twos. He was talking about potentially you know breaking the breaking the record he's like that's in my sight yeah stop doing if that if you're putting <laughs> if you're putting that out there and then if you run like a 435 it's like well yeah eh, if he uh, runs man, a 4 like i mean
0: that's a good point and guys and like if you're if you're going to the combine this week if there's anything if, or you're not and you just need some advice on like how to like live your life take some advice from uncle chris set <laughs> the bar low man <laughs> set the bar low what i mean you can't you can't fail someone's expectations if they never had expectations for you in the first place. Something I was taught as a very young young kid. Um, That's a great so, No, but seriously, Miko Hardman, I think it, his, his combine, for whatever reason, I have a feeling it's going to be a lot like Chris Conley was a couple years ago. Where it's like you have this receiver from Georgia who is a part of a receiver group that already has – I don't think he's overshadowed because there are going to be questions. It, it's unlike the Sternberger thing where when they – if he has like one test, it's like an eye-popping number that he puts up. And they look at Sternberger's resume, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, he had all, all of the stats to back up, you know, his great season. Hardman isn't going to show up as much in that. It's like, well, how come he didn't put up better numbers in, you know, doing this? Or you know, I think he's one of those guys that can do a lot of different things for a football team, like in the return game or as a receiver or anything like that. I just have a feeling he's going to go up and, like, jump over 42 inches, run a sub yeah. 435, and and just be an absolute nightmare, like, like in – for like a lot of defensive backs. I mean, he he's so so physically talented. Yeah, started off his career as a cornerback yeah. too, and now still trying to develop as a as a receiver. Good and, hips, you know, obviously. Yeah, good, good hips. hips. Not a road oh, grade or anything God. like that, but he's you know <laughs> definitely some good hips.
1: Oh, enjoy all the stereotypes this weekend during during the Finger Fingertip speed, are, man.
0: That's They're so great. They're so Got great. some, you know, got some off the field issues. got a couple of red flags. Not really. He does not. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the best part of the day.
1: This Joe Moorhead interview, like I said before, um, it's been been a long time coming. It was fun to get to talk to him. I was able to talk to him uh, over the phone on Friday and just kind of got into all things, you know, his first year. We talked about, by the way, did you know Joe Moorhead has two tattoos? I don't think the average person knew that were the type of things that we found out. Also may have asked him about um, Dan Mullins ice cream dish that was named after him at Bop's. whether or not he's got a place named or he's got a dish named after him uh, at that place as well. Uh, he he it, was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I hope even if you're not a Mississippi State fan you enjoy this. So without further ado, here is an interview with Joe Moorhead. We're now excited to welcome on a very special guest. It is the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Moorhead. Joe, I'm going to be honest with you. We've had Tebow, we've had Feinbaum, we've had Herbstreet all on this podcast. In my opinion, you are the biggest guest yet. Um, are are you okay with me saying that?
2: Yeah, why not? Sounds like Sounds good to me. Don't know if any <laughs> of so it's a- accurate or true, but uh, we're going to run with it.
1: That, I, I like that. I like that. Uh so your first season in Sarkville is, is in the books. You win eight games, which, you know, that that's not exactly the number that a certain Saturday night South columnist came up with it for you to win ten games, but um that's okay. Um it was still I, I think, you know, by all stretches, still a very solid season. How would you grade yourself based on your performance in your first year?
2: I'd I'd say in the B range. I mean, certainly we're not gonna be satisfied until we compete for a national championship and uh, you know, win an SEC title, but to uh You know, finished the season, I think, ranked 17 or 18 in the college football playoff ranking, eight wins, two wins against top 25 teams at home, 6-1 and home record, New Year's Day Bowl, Uh, you know, first one since, I believe, 2014, a bunch of guys invited to the Combine, all SEC uh, selections, all Americans, Uh, and and quite frankly, we were a couple plays away from being a 10-win team, so, uh, you know, I think it was a good start, I think we laid a solid foundation, but uh, nowhere near where we want this program to be, or why I took this job.
1: I mean, you you can admit it
2: now. Did did
1: I jinx you with the ten-win prediction? Was that a little bit? Did I set like the, the sport, bar too Sports high?
2: Illustrated jinx? Yeah, yeah,
1: something like that. We'll call you it. Heard
2: it. a Madden jinx? I, I was unaware yeah. of the prediction, so I, we can't call it a jinx, but. Uh, in hindsight, yeah, why not? Let's call it the Jinx.
1: <laughs> I, w- I want to go back to when you arrived because I think a lot of people were were taken aback by your confidence. And I, right. I knew just from kind of watching you at Penn State that you you had this certain swagger about you. You you tell your guys to to get their ring sizes. You tell Nick Fitzgerald to get a spot on his mantle for his Heisman. Uh, what was that reaction like, both internally and externally?
2: No, I-, I think it was it was met certainly by the fans with uh, you know excitement. Uh, and, and, our, and our kids want to hear that the leader of the program has confidence in them. And if, if I had the chance to do it all over, I'd do the exact same thing again, because uh, I truly believe no one rises to low expectations. And you know, I, I didn't take this job to say, hey, we're, we're fired up about eight wins and in, in a good bowl game. You know, if that were the case, I'd have stayed two hours from home. You know, being the offensive coordinator at Penn State and continuing to you know attempt to have success there. But uh, you know, part of the reason I'm taking this job was to compete with the best and against the best, you know, in the toughest division of all college football. So uh, we have not done it here. Uh, you know, I don't believe it's happened since 1941 and, and not in the modern era at all. I think we got to the championship game in, in one of Jackie's years, but uh, you know, that's why I took the job to bring, to bring a championship to, to Starville.
1: There was a feeling out process between you and Nick that was pretty well documented. Even though the the Trace McSorley comps, they, they were there early on. Trace was almost like a he was kind of like a piece of clay that you got to mold because he was in his first season as a starter at Penn State and Nick was obviously coming in where he's a multi-year starter. How challenging was just that adjustment for you guys to deal with early on?
2: Yeah, for Trace it was two whole springs, two whole fall camps and then, you know, two whole seasons. Whereas Nick missed spring ball, uh, you know, obviously didn't play the first game because of a suspension, so the you know, the the time and opportunity to develop was a little bit more limited in its scope. And then certainly the, the transition from the style of offense, whereas Trace had played in the spread, he had familiarity with that type of scheme. And, you know, a lot of it wasn't, uh, you know, new teaching, you know, whereas some of the stuff we were asking Nick to do, he hadn't done in the past. And, uh, you know, certainly the uh, early season, uh, you know, stumbles and, uh, you know, hurdles. You know, we got to the tail end. And I think in the last five, he was 11 touchdowns, no picks, over 60%. You know, took a step back in the bowl game. But, I truly believe that while it may not have been significant progress on paper or in statistics, that he grew as a player and as a quarterback. I think it'll help prepare him for the next level. And I truly believe if we had another season with him, that the the growth would have been exponential.
1: What was what was the toughest part for you during that early on? Because you know you're, the expectations obviously are high coming into the year, and you deal with a couple of those losses early in SEC play, where you know Kentucky gets you, Florida gets you. Is yeah. there a moment where you're just like, man, this is is, this is even more difficult than I than I thought it was going to
2: be. Yeah, I, I, I think necessarily that, that it wasn't necessarily the expectation, because cause no one's going to demand more, expect more of this program and this team than me. So, you know, I know certainly people, you know, kind of perceived what our talent level was and, and what we should have done based on returning starters, you know, and kind of the, those those factors. And I'm I'm fine with that. But the most disappointing part of it to me was being an offensive guy and scoring points at every single place I've been. And when we were good this year, we were very, very good. But when we weren't, it was uh, at critical times against quality opponents. And as a guy who kind of got the job and has prided himself in his ability to to score points and perform well offensively, I think to me that was the most disappointing part of it.
1: So I asked you at SEC Media Days if you had had a welcome to the South moment yet. And you said (laughs) the humidity, and then you said that, you said that everything uh, being wrapped in bacon. Uh, yeah. What's what's the best food that you've had so far that's been wrapped in bacon?
2: Um, <coughs> gosh, excuse me. There is a. It's catfish, an emotional subject. There, there's I got a, you. a. Oh, it is very very touchy subject. There, there's a there's a a fried catfish wrapped in bacon down here. Uh, Ooh. And, and yeah, I know. Surprising, isn't it? Uh, but but I think any 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 of the catfish dishes here, and I'm actually. Where I had ballooned up during the season, I'm actually kind of cutting back down to where I had been. So it's been a true, true stu- struggle the past few months to to push away some of those Southern delicacies.
1: Yeah, I think there's like the freshman 15 and then there's the Southern 15, <laughs> like your first year in the South. It's no the question. same thing. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of food, you know, that ice cream place in Starkville that had the sundae named after Dan Mullen, uh, Bop's, Bop's I think is the name of it. Um, oh, yeah. Do, do they have a... They have a Sunday named after you yet, and if not, what would be in it?
2: I have not been, uh, but I they could and I'm I'm not aware of it, but if they did, I'm I'm a in terms of candy, if you can make a an analogy, the Take Five Bar, which I think is oh, yeah. the Hall of Fame or All Star uh candy bar that that's out there that you've got chocolate, you've got caramel. You got pretzel, you got peanut butter, I believe there's a little nougat thrown in there, so if you can fashion a sundae that has all those ingredients, and I think you throw some M&Ms and some hot fudge on top of that, I, th- I think you're looking at a pretty good uh, sundae.
1: And the fudge is like dripping off the side yeah, because abs- you've got so absolutely. much swagger. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. No question. Uh, For you, what was, where were there more culture shock? Starkville or Germany? <sighs> Germany. I would say that's fair because you, you walk into a situation, and people might not realize this, but you getting to play over there in Munich and getting to play a season of pro football uh, over there in Europe, I, I imagine that that adjustment kind of prepared you for what you dealt with in, in the last year. Was there some some culturalization-type things that you picked up on maybe 20 years ago that you kind of had going down a little bit of memory lane last year?
2: No, I, honestly, I think that the, um, even though it was you know, closer to home, but it wasn't necessarily Pittsburgh because state college is in a bit more of a rural area. I think the, the, the time I spent in, uh, at Penn State was was more uh, you know analogous to Starkville than, than uh, you know the trip overseas to, to Munich. I think the biggest thing there was kind of the, the language barrier, you know not speaking a word of German and you know getting over there and there were only a couple Americans you know per team. Uh and then kind of the food adjustment there in a different way. <laughs> you come down here and it it's as good as any food you had and you go over there and you know kinda of, kinda of the polar opposite. I
1: always think those German cadences would be epic. If you just get some <laughs> of those pre snap. That would be really good.
2: Uh, yeah, the uh it was it was definitely an interesting three to four months.
1: Uh, you know, I, I I do ask that a bit tongue in cheek because the skepticism about you succeeding in Starkville because of your lack of Southern roots, I, I think it was blown out of proportion. If you if you don't win games, nobody's going to be like, well, he, if he had been that tight ends coach at UAB instead of spending all those years up in the Northeast, he would have won. Um, do you do you kind of get tired of hearing some of those comments?
2: Not early on, but I mean it kind of rolls off your back because it's it's not true. It's not based or founded in any any facts it's more of a a subjective thing than an objective thing but you know we've done great recruiting the people in the town have taken well to my family and i the kids on the team love us and you know ultimately like you said it's a results oriented and driven business that if you can coach you can coach if you can recruit you can recruit uh if you can you know build and forge and cultivate relationships you know off of a genuine kind of nature you know people are going to take you and they see through bs and you know i think that's you know been a uh the biggest part of the assimilation down here is that, you know, people see me out. They see me at my kids' games. They see me at Dollar General buying stuff. And, you know, I, I don't want to say it, it's it's just I've been who I am, and I, and I think that's made the transition a lot easier.
1: Joe, what are you buying at Dollar General? You got enough money. You don't have. To, I mean, Dollar Store.
2: Dollar Store. Yeah, there's a lot of them down here. But we do have pets, so we we get our cat food and cat litter, uh, cat litter, at, cat litter at Dollar General.
1: That's actually that's a really good idea. I should look into that. Yeah, they kind of look um, at the
2: car. They're, the people are a little shocked. Kinda, you kind you of put the stuff <laughs> on the counter and you hand them the car, and if they're not paying attention, they kind of look up and they're like, oh, yeah, coaches. I say, yeah, my cats go to the bathroom, too. We need to figure it out.
1: <laughs> Everybody poops, that's what I was say. Exactly, uh, like the
2: book says, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: uh, the alley-oop celebration that you guys oh, do, is that your way of basically just giving your players a chance to kind of dunk on the haters?
2: Uh, I didn't think of it symbolically that way, but I guess that's one way you can look at it. But, uh, you know, that goes back to kind of what we've done at Fordham and and certainly what we did at Penn State and Trace's uh, trademark swing. And if you look hard enough, uh, you'll find Saquon doing the exact same thing where, you know, he would catch an alley oop and and dunk it coming off uh, the field from a touchdown. But I, I just think, you know, we worked too hard and put in too many hours and. You know, uh, you, you want the kids to enjoy it and play it like a kid and have fun. And to me, that's the best part of it, to celebrate success. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's too hard at this level to score touchdowns and stop people and have success. And you want to make sure the kids understand that it's still a game and they're enjoying themselves.
1: I wanted to ask you about Saquon for a little while, just because seeing him blossom over the last three, four years, and not just the NFL success, but going back to when you first got there. And he really takes off in your system. You've been coaching football for... 20 years. I mean, is there a better player that you've seen?
2: (sighs) Seen or coached, I I don't believe so. And, you know, it was very fortunate, actually, two running backs, you know, from the same area that I coached, both went that giraffe, Chase Edmonds to uh, the Cardinals out of Fordham. He was a central Dolphin kid. And then Saquon. But I, I think, and it's not cliche, and I think it probably rings true, as you see him, you know, being interviewed or, you know, in his multiple endorsement deals now that, he is truly a, a better person and a better teammate than he is a player. and that's saying a lot. Uh, he is genuine. He is well liked. He cares more about his team than he does about himself. And when you combine that with the type of physical tools and football ability uh, that he possesses, you know that's why you know he's probably on every billboard in Times Square right now because he deserves to be. Uh, I mean, he's 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 one of a kind. You know, they broke the mold with him.
1: When you're recruiting a running back to come to Starkville, is it fair to assume that you don't leave that recruit's living room without bringing up Saquon?
2: No, absolutely, and, and not just Saquon, but the history of success that running backs have had in the system. You know, going back to one double A at Fordham, and that kid's in the NFL now. Uh, back to UConn, you know, Jordan Todd, who, who played about 10 years in the NFL, Andre Dixon, and then even a kid we had at, at Acker named Dennis Kennedy. Uh, we this has been a, a system because of the RPO nature of it, and you're handing the ball off to the the running back are getting him the ball in space uh against advantageous numbers and, and you don't have to make people miss at the line of scrimmage or are unblocked it's allowed them to to produce some pretty impressive numbers and when you have the when you combine that with the type of ability that these guys have then it really becomes something special
1: tell me about uh your first egg bowl experience it was interesting
2: <laughs> whoo yeah it, it sure was um You know, I I spent an entire year, and and I get along exceedingly well with Matt Luke. I think he's a a great guy. We sit next to each other at meetings, and both of our kids play travel baseball. So uh, I I really enjoy Matt Luke. I think he's a good coach and a good person. Uh, Spent a whole year trying to not pour gas on the fire. Uh, It went well for about three quarters, and then, you know, kind of went off the rails. So that was, you talk about a welcome to Mississippi moment or welcome to the South moment. You know, that was the, the welcome to the Egg Bowl moment.
1: Uh, you told your players afterwards to to play with class and not to take uh, you know what off of anybody um, yeah. do you have any plans to get that phrase tattooed onto your right bicep or maybe get that trademark something like that
2: i do, I do have two tattoos on both both uh upper biceps so they 're covered right now what? but i think that, yeah I think the trademark would probably be a little bit more applicable
1: wait joe what what tattoos do you have
2: uh, I have the the Superman emblem on my left and then I have a an Irish cross with my family's name around the, around the four sides below my other. I love it. Oh wow, I didn't I didn't realize
1: that. I don't know how I didn't know that. I'm trying to convince I, my I,
2: wife to, to I'm gonna get one more, but she's like a 45 gray hair, another tat, not a good look. <laughs>
1: well, what's your next tat gonna be?
2: Uh I, I was the, the 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 scuttlebutt was that I was gonna get a, a 412 a Pittsburgh area code somewhere, uh, inside forearm. You know that was kind of the thought, but uh, she she's, I'm meeting that with much resistance.
1: I mean, I, I think if you do, actually, regardless, even if you just have the two tattoos, you, you should really think about just going sleeveless throughout the spring, throughout <laughs> the fall, just kind of remind everybody,
2: hey, uh, the, business. The, 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 yeah, these 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 arms are best kept undercover. That's why I wear long sleeves on game day. They're not they're not they're not meant for public consumption.
1: You're uh, you're happy in Mississippi State now. Life is going really well for you. I know you're focused on the future, but after that 2016 season. You interview at Purdue, you're a candidate at UConn, and you probably had a handful of other places that you could go to. Few yeah, assistants, if any, were more coveted than you. Ultimately, you elect to stick around at Penn State for another year. How, how close was your life to being drastically different than what it is today?
2: Uh, following the 2016 season? Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously when, when, when you're on a team that performs well and your side of the ball uh, you know, is able to you know put up numbers and produce and... and there's an old phrase I like, with team success comes individual recognition, and I don't think any of that would have happened if, you know, we hadn't won the Big Ten and, you know, performed well in the Rose Bowl and, you know, kind of got Penn State turned around offensively. But, uh, you know, a piece of advice I got a long time ago as a, as a young GA, uh, when you're considering job opportunities, the three criteria you utilize is personal, professional, and monetary in that order. And, uh, you know, had hadn't just moved my wife and my kids, you know, back close to home, and my daughter had been to a couple different high schools in, in three years and I know that we didn't move the next year. It just, you know, to 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 move again that quickly, you know, for a couple of different reasons. It just, it, it wasn't the best best decision for our family.
1: Ultimately, though, I mean, you you come to Mississippi State, and I I think now, you know, you feel like you have a chance to to really do some big things. The roster is is still in really good shape. This roster moving forward, even though you guys did lose a ton of talent to the draft, you know, you you've got some some pieces. I've been very high on Kylan Hill and seeing what he's been able to do um a guy of his skill set what what is the potential for somebody like him in your system?
2: No, I think the same as you saw from you know Sequan and the other guys that have played uh running back in in this offensive uh scheme that i think the sky's the limit uh you know he i think he was right around seven fifty last year and missed two and a half three games because injury or or been an easily you know, a 1,000-yard rusher, and, and I think he's going to build off of that this year. You know, hopefully he can remain healthy for the duration. I know he's been working extremely hard in the off offseason. Uh, you know, Terry Richardson, who come in to replace Coach Huff, uh, you know, has done a great job at the places he's been. You know, an NFL player, uh, NFL coach, college player, college coach. So I think the combination of Colin's skill set, what we do offensively, and, and uh, you know, Coach Richardson's tutelage is, is really going to help him uh, kind of have a, uh, you know, takeoff type of season.
1: Keaton Thompson, he's a guy that I know Mississippi State fans are excited about. We've had these little snippets of him. You know, He gets to beat Lamar Jackson in the Tax Slayer Bowl. He has you know the big game early in the season where he had six touchdowns, seven touchdowns, whatever it was. And I think Mississippi State fans, they, they want to, to kind of get on board with this guy of the future. And they, they've been so, I mean, your fans have just been so blessed over the last few years to have Dak, to have Nick. What, what should they expect of, of him moving forward? And how do you think you're going to be able to maximize his skill set?
2: Yeah, I think the big thing with K T is he's got a little bit of gamer in him. You know, you, you look back to the to the uh you know, the tax slayer bowl and he won over fifty percent completions but you know, found a way to you know put some points on the board and he ran the ball very well. You know, his uh start in the opener against Stephen F. Austin Austin, as you mentioned, he had seven touchdowns and in the spot that he come in this year, he's he's performed pretty well through a touchdown against Arkansas. Uh ran the ball pretty well there. Uh you know, I just think he's a big, strong, physical kid. Uh, you know, he's, he's got arm talent. He can beat you with his legs. You know, j- j- just like kind of we were working to um, do with Nick, we've, we've just got to get him to become a more accurate passer because I, I think we were second in the, in the SEC in rushing, you know, well over 200 yards. Uh, you know, for us to be the offense that that can compete for a championship in, in – win titles and not just win games that we've got to improve our pass game. And I think KT's going to play a big part in that.
1: Last year, I went all in on you to get to 10 wins. You come up a little bit short. That's all right. Yeah. We were a couple.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I mean, we, you could point to four or five plays throughout the season. And I think that's part of it. You're a new coach and it's just not plug and play. I mean, these are real people and real coaches and a real transition. And, you know, certainly defensively we, we, we were played, you know, lights out and, you know, had our moments offensively, but you know, you know I think that's where you got to look to make the growth, to find those areas that we a little bit deficient, and you know, take the next positive step. Didn't mean to cut you off there, but I'm kind of no, no, about you're, that you're a, exactly thought right. Out a time or two, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right, and I think a lot of people w- would agree that there were. I mean, there were opportunities for you guys to get to that mark. The talent was certainly there. I, you know, you, you lose all this talent to the NFL draft, but. Just, just tell me why I should be steadfast. It, maybe just as steadfast as I was last year. In my belief that I should double down on you guys. You guys are going to win ten games. Just make me sound smart. I guess is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I, I think you know we did lose two things: a lot of personality and a lot of production. You know, guys who had played a lot of ball and had been you know strong leaders. You know, Nick, Jonathan Abram, Jeffrey Simmons. You know, certainly Montez. You know, probably more by example than vocally. But uh, I think um, we've got a, a lot of. Talented players returning at key positions. I think uh, you know we're strong on both sides of the ball in a line of scrimmage football league, and I think we've got a lot of young talent at the skill positions that maybe uh, didn't have a primary role, but but played a lot of important football last season. And I think, like anything, the the, uh, the transition from a team in year one to year two, you're going to see incremental improvement. And I think we, like people ask, how you went from a Took over a one win, one-win team at Fordham and went six and five, twelve and two, eleven and three, nine and three. Beat two one-a teams and you know had the success at Penn State, you know where they had gone six and six, six and six, and then it was eleven and three, and then ten and two, and won the bowl game. It's town that's coaching, it's culture. I believe we have town on on the roster, uh, to help us compete for an SEC championship. I believe we have a coaching staff in place that. Uh, our experts in fundamentals and techniques will call plays to put our guys in a position to be successful and our great mentors and motivators and i think our culture of working on discipline accountability work ethic attention to detail and really paying attention to the little things and and i think that's where you know we can bridge the gap between good and great it is an improved belief and execution of our culture
1: i'm all right i'm sold i'm uh, i'm You're in, all in right. i'm Double uh, down. yeah i I'm, I'm in I'm, I'm doubling down, Joe. I I do appreciate you joining us. I, I hope that maybe this conversation convinced you that you know. I know you got a lot of open analyst jobs. That's the way that works now in the SEC. Maybe if I float my resume over to you, you know, you consider me for one of those analyst position. I'm I'm just I'm just gonna throw the feeler out there, and if you want to respond to me, that's that's totally fine.
2: Throw it all against the wall, see if it sticks, brother. I love it. <laughs> hey, what's the, what the the kids say, shoot or shoot. So hey, you shot your shot. What are you gonna do? Amen.
1: I, just like, you know, like an alley-oop, like a, you know, after a touchdown that you guys Exactly. Great thing, segue. Love it. <laughs> Joe, appreciate you coming on. We'll do this again soon sometime.
2: Let's do it, man. Have a great day. Yep. You too. All right. Hill State. That was a lot of fun
1: to get to do that. Um, like I said, long time coming. The reason that, and I don't know if I've ever explained this, but the reason that I dig Joe Moorhead was sort of confirmed in He's that explained. interview, his, his swagger to me, next level. Um, I, I'm all in. I'm all in again. I'm doubling down. That's just that's what we're gonna
0: do. You already it here first. Mississippi State will have 17 wins next year. Boom. Put boom. it etch it in
1: stone. Can't can't wait for it. <laughs> let's get to uh, to fourth and wrong. All
0: right, so let's get into some fourth and wrong. These are questions we ask uh, audience participation for every single week on social media. Um, first question here, Connor. What are your thoughts on themed
1: Cruises. I personally have never been on a themed cruise. Right. Now I have been on an actual cruise, and while on that actual cruise, which was a lot of fun, um, not not typically my type of vacation. We're a little bit more of like we kind of like to do our own thing. We like to do stuff that's not so so planned out by you know a massive corporation, something like that. Right. Um, the cruise itself is fun, depending on the people that you have around you. But a themed cruise. It might mean too much. I'm just I'm just gonna say that. Whatever the theme is, uh, that that'd be a little bit like the Elvis themed cruises I've seen. So, those.
0: and the question was from Josh Tally on Twitter. I'm sorry, I should I should have prepped it with that because um, you know how Josh is. No, I'm kidding. But he he brought up. He said kind of like the Crimson Tide themed cruise, which I didn't know was a thing. And oh yeah, and that sounds awesome because I love Bama and I would love like. One cool part about that AAF came yesterday was there was... I don't know if there were more Legends fans or Iron fans. There were more Bama fans than anybody. And so that part was pretty cool. Um, I, I don't know. Like, don't take this in the wrong way, Bama fans. Or do, because I don't care. It's one thing to go be around your favorite thing. It's it's another to um, have to be around the other people that support your favorite thing. I don't know if I want to be stuck on a ship with Bama fans, is what I'm saying. Speaking of that,
1: the alliance, the uh, the Apollos, the Orlando team, the the AAF, they have a cruise coming up with Spurrier and Apollo's cruise, which I I bet they're going to get a decent amount of people for the Spurrier fact alone. Dude, I tagged you this. I was,
0: I said, should this is this like the SDS podcast spring break? I'm I'm not going to
1: dismiss it. Yeah, but at the same time, like, might be a little bit tough. Yeah, I went on a cruise one
0: time. It's cool because you could save a lot of money for the most part. But like. It is I will say sneaking Do alcohol. Do you though? I, don't, I mean st- I did cuz I was like I was in college and I didn't tip the entire weekend cuz I was a terrible person. Wow. It was it's one of the more embarrassing things I've ever ever Goodness. done as a person cuz especially like working in the hospital industry after that for a long time. I didn't I just was like I was a college kid I was so broke like I, I will say the most innovative and creative I have ever been sneaking alcohol somewhere was the cruise ship. I did a really good job with that. That surprises me 0%. <laughs> okay. Second question. Uh, spring training baseball in Florida or Arizona by yourself which one are you taking I'm taking
1: I live in Florida and I could go to spring training if I wanted to oh sick brag but I'm an Arizona guy I went to Arizona when I was in 6th grade for spring training spent a week there it was one of the best weeks of my life really? it was awesome I went to 4 different games while I was there got to see the Cubs playing in the Grapefruit League it was fantastic I would I would, I would go there in a heartbeat
0: Arizona. I've never been to the one in Arizona um I played at Dodger Town, Sick Bragg, when I was like 15, which is where the, like, the, it was like one of the first spring training, like, villages ever in baseball history, where like Branch Rickey came up with this idea where they was going to have like, spring training, like where all the players would go get ready and all kind of, they, so they had Dodger Town, was like a place in Vero Beach, Florida, where like all the players lived in these like, you know, bungalows and stuff like that for like a month before the season, it was really cool. Um... I would say Florida just because I like Florida. There's a beach. There's not really a beach in Arizona. You could go to the Trump. beach. Um, the, I remember playing at like uh, you know places like in Jupiter and Fort Myers and Florida. What I've heard, what I've heard, what I've been told, there's a lot of fun extracurricular things that happen in Jupiter. Whoa! So we'll way see, <laughs> too soon. Way too soon. Um, goodness next gracious. Next question. Okay, somebody asked this last week. Favorite roller coaster, or what is your favorite theme park attraction? I'd probably go with Raging Bull at Six Flags back in the day. Okay.
1: Is that like that, that Six has, Flags that like get specific to where you're from? No, I have Raging Bull everywhere at Six Flags. No, I, don't. I mean, I, I could. it's a popular ride, I think. I, Somebody I, back six me flags, up on this.
0: I don't, first of all, I don't like the way you said Six Flags, and said Six Flags?
1: Uh, I said it with a question because I, I'm not 100% sure of myself, because I've been to, now I've been to Universal a few times, and I think Universal's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't like that all these these rides though. So I went because I went like a month ago yep. to Universal, and all these rides are transitioning to the virtual reality thing. That's stupid. If you, get, if you get motion sickness,
0: it's terrible. Well, and also like, what I don't like about going to Six Flags is, my stepdad taught me this when I was young. It's the best thing, one of the best things like advice was I ever heard in my life. Go like when it's like supposed to rain, like a misty day, like not like 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 overcast because nobody wants to go on days like that, and sure. there's no lines. Yeah. Um, I see. I'm not. I like I like roller coasters. There's one, the Goliath at Six Flags over Georgia, or I'm sorry, uh, Six Flags, as you would say. I said it like a question
1: because I wasn't sure myself. That's Saquon what I would say. Flags
0: over Georgia. Um, it is that one's awesome. It, now it's terrifying because it's like you're up. The way they the way the way they like strap you in is it's like you have like like a kickboard that you would have like from like swim lessons when you were a child, and that's all that's like separating you. You pull that down in your lap, and that's it. And like. It's way, way up in the air to where, like, you can literally see the skyline of Atlanta, and it goes throughout the entire park. It's terrifying, but also awesome. Also, my favorite attraction is Skee-Ball. I just, I can't get enough Ski ball Yeah, you're way too into I <laughs> Love Ski ball um, Okay, last one. This was just submitted to us. Uh, this is from, let me pull up this name, Jake Gordon. What is a rule your parents made you follow as a kid that you still follow today? So this is going to be a cop out. Okay.
1: My parents, as I'm sure yours maybe did when you were young. Um, obviously, they don't do anymore. Uh, the no cursing rule in my household was kind of prevalent for a little bit, and so the ironic thing was, and like I'm not trying to say this to sound like self righteous or whatever. There's there's a deeper story that I'll share with you for another time if you if you give me if you give me a beer one on a random Friday oh at an SEC town. Um, but I don't curse anymore. Um, I, I haven't cursed for the last uh, seven I think seven eight that years. That is so like that. dumb. I'm no kidding, but, I'm so,
0: kidding. I'm kidding.
1: My wife My wife said, "What would I have to do to get you to curse? Like on it? Uh, like to just start letting out expletives?" And I used to I used to curse like a sailor back in college, back in the day. I bet. Um, I've, I've changed, but and now, ironically enough, if I wanted to swear in front of my parents, I I mean, or in front of my mom, rather. I could very easily and yeah. without any sort of repercussions, but that was the one that I had growing up that ironically enough is, has drifted, and now I've taken a different stance on that whole thing.
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're different. I sounded like st- a
1: self-righteous. I hated so, the way that, that well, came what's across.
0: What's funny is I've told this story to a bazillion people, and it was funny because, like, I don't know if you remember this happening. Well, this is a peel behind the um, The I cuss all the time. I've done comedy for coming up on eight years now in April. That's just how I speak, that's just how I like communicate. Like I it's never been something that's been offensive. It's just been something that's been a part of my language. And it is at times like where it's, it's too much, and I'll drop like things where Patty Soup, Pastor Patty Soup, like Christopher. Yes, no, sir. That's I um, was hoping you were gonna get there. But at the same time, that's just that's always how I've been. So I remember the first time I ever did this podcast with you, I was really skeptical if it was gonna work because I we got on and and we're like like we hadn't met each other in person. So we're doing this like via so Facetime, sorry. and it's like kind of awkward, like feeling each other out, and we're about to start. It's like, oh right, yeah, this will be good. Like we'll just, you know, we got a couple topics we're gonna go over, and like I'm nervous, you're kind of nervous, I guess, and and you go, you're putting in your headphones, <laughs> and the last minute you go, oh by the way, I don't curse, and then put your left headphone in and just started the <laughs> podcast, and I was like, what the blank have I got myself into? Um, so yeah, that one has not been uh, something <laughs> that like I've done. I I would say. The only one I can really think of is uh um the volume on the TV. Ooh, that's a good one. So I've always been like very uh, weird about this. It's always gotta be on odd numbers. Okay. Under ten. I can get on board with that. Under ten. Anything over ten has to be even numbers. That's like a really OCD weird thing. Oh, I know. That is weird. Yeah, that is weird. I'm, I'm just from my mom. And then thank you cards. Sending thank you cards to people. That's a big thing my mom's always preached. Um, that I try to do a better job because well, it really does mean a lot for people. So send a thank you card. Yeah, Under, very underrated. There you go. I, I, I came off like such a. Why don't you shut the <laughs> up and go on? It? it might mean too much, Connor. I'm... <laughs> go ahead.
1: All right, let's close things out with this. is This came out uh, today via the Advocate. This stuff writes itself. So three men were accused of stealing a John Deere vehicle probably some sort of tractor, mower, you can kind of fill in the blank there. Convertible. Uh, they, they, were accused, <laughs> they were accused of stealing it from the LSU locker room. And apparently LSU has video of these men entering the locker room and stealing it. And then uh, they were stopped on campus riding the vehicle around. The driver got a DWI to nobody's surprise. And each was charged with a count of theft of a motor vehicle. Apparently, this is a thing at LSU now Dude. where it's getting way too easy to go into the stadium to steal stuff. Get some better security, LSU, because okay. you're kind of asking for it at this point.
0: So, uh, two things. One, when I heard this, all I could think of was the part in The Hangover when they're watching the replay back at Mike Tyson's house, yep. and drunk Bradley Cooper and, and Zach Galifianakis <laughs> are, like, walking in with the tiger, and he's like, who does that? It's a beautiful animal. It's a beautiful, beautiful animal. Um but, no, so this is – I'm going to tell a story real quick because it's, 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 it's um, relevant here. I had two – I had three friends that got uh, almost arrested in college. Actually, they did get arrested for stealing a golf cart on campus at the Georgia College and State University campus in Milledgeville, Georgia. And, and one of them they – they, they were drunk and they were walking home and they saw a golf cart and they got into it and, and a cop saw them and they, they ran – And I remember I got a voicemail from my friend who called me and quoted a T.I. lyric and was like, I told those cops, man, I'm fast as lightning, bro. You better wear your Nikes, bro. So I called him back the next day. He was in jail. Uh, He was not not faster than lightning. And so the reason why it's relevant is because to this day, those two guys, because one of them ratted out the other one and they hate each other and they're both going to be on my bachelor party (laughs) this this August. They haven't spoken to each other in, in 12 to 13 years. So maybe I'll do the bachelor party in Baton Rouge, and we'll just go down there and bear the hatchet, huh? That's a good idea. I was just thinking to myself, it's probably better
1: to say that line than uh, better better to go with that Ti line as opposed to like a um, rubber band man, wild as the Taliban. <laughs> just a thought. <laughs> he's got some. Um, he's
0: got some tough lyrics. <laughs> could could have been worse.
1: Could have been worse. Yeah, we've we've got one five star review to get to. Uh, this is from. I'm gonna mispronounce this. I, I'm Saquon. I'm, very, very certain that this person just put in this name to mess with us because we are not pronunciation guys, as we know. Uh, this is from Bull Basseram, Bull ma'am? I don't know. I'm sorry. But uh, this subject, get your game days right, y'all. You had me at SEC football. Join the guys and the occasional guest for some bi-weekly tailgates full of predictions, hot takes, recaps, and all the latest news of all things athletic. While focused on the goings-on, of the promised land, aka the SEC. The guys are very knowledgeable with nationwide sports coverage year round. Grab your Texas Pete, drop a tailgate and a cooler full of alcohol, and get ready to be as well versed in sports as your dad has always been. What are you waiting for? It's game time. Boom. Boom. I'm about to run, I'm ready through, a run through a wall. a oh, yeah. Okay. That was weird. <laughs> Let's never let, Let's that, never let happen that happen again. again. What? That was. <laughs> All right. I got to so. Yeah. Um all right. That was a good episode, so, man. That was fun. That was that was that was great. Make sure that you are watching Marlar on Facebook live. Are those still Monday night at 8 Monday or
0: Tuesday, we'll play it by ear. Usually it's Monday night. Um we Just might do it Tuesday Check the notification on your phone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um check that out and make sure you're keeping up with social media and all that good stuff. Following along with the website, because you've been pumping out these great articles. Thanks, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Appreciate that. Um yeah. if anybody has more adorable photos of Jared Sidham, please send them our way. Because that's yes. great. Um, And stop stealing cars and and John Deere tractors. Allegedly. Allegedly. But there you go.
1: Special shout out to Joe Moorhead for coming on. We will do that again sometime soon, hopefully. Coach O, what do we need to remember?
0: Drive it like you stole it. It might mean too much. (laughs) Talk to you next week. (laughs)